Stages podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's springtime, finally. It's a time for renewal and letting go. And one of my favorite things to do is to open my closet and get tossing. I let go of so many things that don't serve me and don't reflect who I am anymore. I make space. And guess what? You can do this with your inner closet as well, as we say in yoga. Relationships, patterns, habits that you have outgrown that don't serve you, well, you get to toss those too. You get to make space inside of your spirit and you get to decide what you're going to fill it with. It is very powerful, but it's It's not always easy because growth is sometimes challenging, but it is always good. And BetterHelp can help. A good therapist can give you tools to explore yourself. They offer customized online therapy, either on video or phone chat sessions. It's more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can speak with someone in under 48 hours. Right now, Stages podcast members get 10% off their first month with BetterHelp. So giddy up, get clearing. We have had so many of our listeners take advantage of BetterHelp, and we really thank you because when you support our sponsors, you support Stages podcast. So log on to BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P.com slash Stages. Get tossing, start growing, and happy spring. Hi, I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. Welcome to Stages podcast. Where we're bringing creation and connection to center stage. Did it work? I will fall out of my chair if Mary Lee actually helped you with something technical. Don't give me that. I'm way better at this than you are, Missy. Well, that doesn't say very much, my friend. (laughs) All right. I don't know what's happening. Didn't work. You're perfect. It's all good. Mary Lee, it didn't work. I I knew it. I could have told you. (laughs) (laughs) Open and close the case. Honestly. (laughs) That's what happens with your phone. Oh, shut up, both of you. I can't see. I'm starting. This This interview is is over. We were lucky enough to record this episode just a few days before the Tony nominations came out. And today's guest has been nominated for Best Featured Actor in a Play. So congratulations, Jesse. Congratulations to you. And thank you again for joining us. And thanks to all of you for listening. You're going to love this episode. Enjoy. So 17 years ago, I was on tour with Wicked and I found myself alongside David Stone, who's a prominent and influential Broadway producer. And he was checking in on the first national of Wicked. But that morning, his entire attention was on a review in the New York Times for his latest Broadway production, the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. He read the review with a huge smile, the future of the show seemingly secured. And when he closed the paper, he spoke of such pride and warmth, not only of the show, but of certain cast members and their star-making turns in this quirky, hilarious, and touching musical. Today's guest was one of those names lovingly mentioned. In fact, this guest's name is always lovingly mentioned because he's wonderful. He's an example of great humor, heart, talent, and success. He is an example of moving from stage stardom to long-term series network stardom, he essentially has achieved all the goals. He returns now to New York City and Broadway this season with his husband and as a father, 
a beloved member of the Broadway community, and a total world recognizable star being celebrated for his already acclaimed performance as Mason Marzak in Take Me Out. Please welcome to the podcast, Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Can we have Jesse Tyler Ferguson to stage, please? Jesse, can you come to stage? <laughs> that was such a lovely intro my gosh well you are a lovely human and i can truly say for me sitting there watching you play that role watching you really take a hold of your life in personal and professional ways but i know this sounds so cliche but keeping both feet on the ground still having this beautiful humility to you all the while being an activist an artist uh, a philanthropist uh, a husband a father it's just it's one of those magic in a bottle human being life stories. And it's really Aww. amazing. Do you take stock in that and go, holy mm -hmm. shit, I have really created quite a special life. I do feel like I have a very special life. I, I, it's nice to be reminded. So thank you for reminding me and, and making me sort of pause and take stock and all that. Because, you know, I, I, you know, as and you probably understand this as a parent, sometimes it's just like you got to live hour to hour and you don't have time to like really step back and look at things in that way and retrospectively. So, um, you know, I try and do good work and I try and um, be a good person and I try and give back. And But I don't really stop and think about that there being any other sort of way. It sort of feels like the way I, I, I want to live my life. Justin, my husband is very, very helpful with that stuff. He keeps me invested in things. He's really the philanthropist of the, the household. And he's the one that started our charity for us. And he's the one that keeps me invested in politics. And he has both feet firmly planted on the ground. So sometimes, uh, you know, he's really my grounding force. So I, I think all those wonderful things you said about me are because um, I have him in my life. So well, we see you both. We recognize you both and all that you do, truly. You. And how did you two meet? Uh, we met at a gym in West Hollywood, which is mm. incredibly cliche, I understand, at the Equinox <laughs> in the locker room. It just keeps getting worse. <laughs> um, we were both clothed, though. Um, Unlike Take Me Out, you were both clothed. You were both clothed. I was leaving and he was coming and it was Modern Family had just started and he had just watched the pilot and Justin was working at the time, again, proved to point um, on the Proposition 8 case, which was uh, um, you know, working to, to um, make marriage legal Equality. again in Los Angeles. Yeah. And uh, so he was working very closely with a nonprofit that was funding that case. And he came up to me and he said, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer. Um, I'm still in law school, actually. I'm, I'm about to graduate, but I'm working on this case. And I just feel like Modern Family is to be doing such great work, you know, sort of in pop culture to sort of move this conversation forward. And you know, he's being really earnest and sweet. And I'm like, mm -hmm, how old are you? What's your name? Like, I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so I asked him out and he was seeing someone at the time and he said, you know, I could go out as friends. I said, well, I, I have enough friends, you know, mm -hmm. which I did. And I had friends that I barely had time to see. I was like, I don't need to follow this kid who's 10 years younger than me around hoping, you know, he's going to break up with his boyfriend, and, but he did break up with his boyfriend. And so I asked him out again and yeah, there, here we are. Speaking of what you were just saying about modern family, I remember so distinctly, I have such a clear memory. I have a son who's now 16, but we were watching modern family when he was little. And mm -hmm. I remember sitting as a family, we were watching the wedding when Cameron and Mitchell got married. 
Mm. And, and I remember looking over at my son, because when I was six years old, you would have never seen that on TV. And to him, it was just this completely normal thing of these two people getting married. And I remember Mm. that was such an awesome moment that he watched that and it meant nothing. It's just normal. It made me so happy, you know, that the generation that's coming up, that that's what they see. Mary Lee, I mean, like, that's exactly why I love doing the show so much, because when I was growing up and I was closeted in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I didn't, I, I would turn on the TV and I, I did not see any representation yeah. or anything to uh, any, I, I didn't recognize myself in any of these characters on TV. Yeah. Will and Grace sort of started creeping on t- television around, you know, my late teens, but really there was, there was, I didn't see any sort of family unit on television. Um, And so to hear that, like, we can be, we are that we were that, that, that representation for, for kids now, it's just really impactful. I mean, I, you know, as an actor, you just hope to get a job and you hope that it's good. And then you hope that people like it and that people will show up. But then if there can be like, on top of that, certain sort of like cultural impact or social Mm -hmm. ramifications, that's just like, that's when you really hit the jackpot. I really just was so grateful that it did become this conversational thing. And, um, you know, and I love that over time, over the 11 years that shows on, on the air, that that thing that was so revolutionary in season one by season 10 was like, ah, no, that's not not a big deal anymore. Yeah. Uh, I love that. I love that. It sort of became less of a, Thing. And was it hard for you to come out to your family being from New Mexico and a small town and back then? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, it was a learning curve for them as well. And it, it wasn't immediate acceptance. Uh, they're very supportive parents. Um, they, you know, they, they danced at my weddings. Like, you know, they, they love Justin. They love their grandson. But, yes, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, but, you know, it's what I did love in Modern Family is that they gave me my character, Mitch, a very tricky relationship with his dad, you know, in that, that wedding episode that you're speaking very specifically of, he basically said, I don't understand why you have to do this, why you have to get married. And I basically said, don't come to the wedding. And then he ends up walking me down the aisle. Right. So, you know, I love that they gave us that complicated, real relationship because that felt so important. I love that they showed that it's not always easy and there's, there is a learning curve that was very uh, impactful. When you spoke of your younger um, self and you're in New Mexico, or was it uh, Missoula? Yeah, that's right, New Mexico. New no, Mexico, I was okay. Born, I was born in Missoula and then moved to uh, Albuquerque you know, when I was one. So. Well, I saw your headshot and you are there with your Phantom of the Opera mask. <laughs> Honest to God, which was musical theater, your first artistic language. And did your parents not see sort of the musicality and the the wonder and magic of you even back then? Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Oh my gosh. Musical theater meant everything to me. Like I, I didn't know who Debbie Gibson was. I didn't know who Tiffany, all the big artists of our time. But Debbie Reynolds. Yes. (laughs) Right. I mean, I wore out my cassettes of Phantom of the Opera. They can't, you know, I had the double cassette. Um, And then my very, my very first the uh, CDs were um, the symphonic recording of Les Miserables. You know, I just, I would just say that in my bedroom and I would just dream about what it would be like to see these shows on stage and um, loved musical theater. Um, saw, you know, watched the Tony Awards, of course, every year at, at, at Albuquerque. But um, when I finally did come to New York, when I was 16, I came with a local um, 
community theater group. It was basically all the blue hairs in me. I was the youngest by many, many, many years. And it was one of those, one of those tours where, you know, they, they plan a show every day, but it was like Phantom of the Opera, which I was very happy to see. I hadn't seen it, but, um, you know, all the, all the very popular shows at the time, but the show I was really obsessed with that year, because I had just seen it on the Tony Awards, was Falsettos. Oh, wow. I remember they did the baseball game and they did the, the, all the rolling chairs. I was like, what is this show? So I think I bailed on going to like the Radio City Music Hall tour that was scheduled. And I went to go see Falsettos. I went to TKTS. That's the first Broadway show I ever saw. That revival stuff. I mean, wow, that was great. I mean, you guys oh. were so fantastic. It was so good to see that show again, directed by Lapine again and, yeah. and Bill Fenn, obviously. Well, spelling bee people. Um, but yeah, that's that's where it all began. Speaking of musical theater language, I really believe that those of us who have been privileged enough to sing a Bill Finn score, it's mm. it's different than anything else yeah. I've ever done. Bill is a no. complicated human, and that is certainly translated in his music and his storytelling. But for you to see and connect Bill Finn with falsettos, and then to have the you know 20th oh my gosh it's the longest title spelling of all bee. time let me go back yes i know <laughs> but it's spelling the 25th <laughs> annual putnam county spelling bay um okay. how was that work was he in the room with you often did he spew uh wonderful and also maniacal things at you as he did <laughs> yes yes he did um and i know yeah. you, you did a little miss sunshine with him too so like you know I what did. it was like, i doubled down on bill finn what was that thinking? i mean least falsettos was like done like he finished it it's very interesting to watch him create something mm-hmm. um you know we we obviously we so many people have told these stories but we workshopped the the show in the berkshires for literally a hundred dollars a, a week um and uh you know he created these songs in this rehearsal room I think we did it actually in like January in the Berkshire. So it was like, you know, terrible snowstorms and icy roads. I mean, we were living in the shining basically <laughs> that, that, that scene in the shining with the long winding road up to the hotel. <laughs> that was us. Yes. <laughs> um, without the ax murdering. But, um, but you know, he sat in these the rehearsal rooms. I remember him playing my song for the first time and the way he he just sort of bangs on the piano and he doesn't have a great singing voice. And he's like, oh, I'm not that smart. People haven't telling me that. I couldn't hear the melody in there. I was like, where's the melody? No. And, you know, Carmel Dean and Vadim Feichner, who were his right-hand man, man and woman, uh, came in and sort of like extracted what he wanted and sort of, then that's how I learned the song. So like, then they actually taught me the song. But I remember the first time you played it for me, I was like, this is not a song. This is just a man <laughs> screaming at me. Um, but it was such a wonderful creative process. And they let us bring so much of ourselves into the rehearsal room. So much of that show was um, created through improv. Um, and, you know, I got to create my character's name. I got to create. You did. That I didn't know. So yes. where did Leaf Coney Bear come from? Um, I wanted him to be sort of like a hippie kid. So like, I, yeah, I also gave him a lot of siblings named like Marigold and Pinecone and Chestnut. Like, so I was like, what would like, they're the, they're the parents that sort of, and then like his last kid's name was like Paul or something. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and I, got, I got to make all these decisions for myself. And I want, so I wanted him to have like a kind of a crunchy name. And I think I came, I came in with Leaf and then I think it was a group effort to figure out Coney Bear. I don't know who actually figured out the Coney Bear of it all. But one thing I am also really proud of is I, I didn't really know where I was going with this char- with this kid, with this character. And so we were staying in this, this home um, 
of a woman who lived in the Berkshires and she evacuated so we could like, you know, stay, stay in, our, in our house. And she was a seamstress. So she had all this fabric and I made myself a cape one that day. That was you. And I did rock in the cape rehearsal. And I, I thought this is a kid who just sort of puts on his armor as a cape. Yeah. And he just feels very secure in his cape. And I know these kids. Like, I know yeah. these kids who like to wear their cape. My son has a cape now. I, I was like, I'm getting him a cape. And, um, you know, they, they kept trying to write in references to the cape. I was like, no, 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 no. The cape's just there. We don't right. talk about the cape. Right. He's just wearing a cape. It yeah. says enough. Then, like, when we moved to Broadway, they made the cape. The cape was, like, you know, very, uh, it was, like, a, a very expensive. It was almost like that, that, um that uh carol burnett sketch with the the the, with the, the, curtains. Oh, the curtain yeah oh it was a bob mackie cake you all of a sudden had <laughs> a bob mackie cake. you're trying to turn it into a bob mackie cake <laughs> and i was like no 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 no. and i basically said i have to use this cape that i, that I made in the berkshires with the bad stitching and it's uneven and that's the one we ended up using on broadway so and that's actually, um, truly yeah. that's an iconic yeah. thing that is oh, amazing. i love that when my that's son was little fun. he was way 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 into capes and i used to get this mm. stretchy fabric and that we would have cape parties at my house i would cut out mm. all these you know lightning bolts and superhero and spider webs and we would cut out the capes and we would velcro them and they were like stretchy and so if they got caught they'd you know come apart and we would have yeah. cape making parties at the house every summer we did it all the time he was so so into it isn't that fun and as a mom i connected with the names because vivi doesn't name anything quote unquote normal or typical right her babies are <laughs> flower pretty scuba yeah. ruba like mom will you get scuba ruba yeah. <laughs> and you're supposed to know which one is scuba yeah ruba. and i'm like please yeah. nobody listen to scuba ruba as we're walking to starbucks with scuba ruba and her you know her carriage let's talk about your little boy beckett yes he's two beckett. now he'll be two in july yes um, oh, he came into the world during this pandemic. Yeah. Early days of the pandemic. I mean, this is the universe looking out for me, though, because first of all, I was I was nervous. I was going to be still be on stage doing Take Me Out. because We were meant to do that you know, in 2020. And I was getting very nervous because we got the due date. And it was bumping right up against my final weeks of uh, Take Me Out. And so I, was like, I don't know how I'm going to. I can't miss this birth. But, you know, my, he's being born in Vegas. That's where our surrogate was. So I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to leave town for a little while. And then, uh, and then I didn't have to worry about that. Obviously, I was I was doing nothing. But then I got to spend so much time with him in those early months, um, where I was going to be busy doing other things. So, like, I just, I, I, it was a gift that I got to sort of experience my first kid with this sort of hyper focus. It was really lovely and also really hard. You know, my mom didn't get to meet him until he was nine months old. Mm. Um, that's her first grandson. So, you know, the, yeah. you know, she's meeting her first grandson over Zoom calls and um, try, also trying to figure out how to like tell my mom how to download Zoom on her phone. She, you know, she had an Android. I was like, what are we going to do? So, but it's great. It's, I, he's a really, really funny kid. And he, um, you know, we, he's, we're trying to expose him to anything he might show interest in. Um, he's, he loves to dance. So the other day he, he, we sent him to a ballet class and he loved to do the tendu and the um, pas de bourree. And he was, you know, I mean, he's, too so he's not doing it well but like he's just <laughs> he's he's performing he's he's yeah. you know he, he likes he likes uh he's very expressive he's very expressive it's, it's how does great. he find new york city is it like oh, stimulus yes, all the time yes, or yes. he loves it he loves it loves it so he much it, you know, it. just walk down the street and there's people playing music and there's 
there's, you know, he's obsessed with cars. It's truly nurture over nature. Um, uh, cause we, we, we didn't push that on him at all, but he loves cars and he loves, you know, little Island. We'll walk to the little Island. And, uh, it's, it's, he's so stimulated here. It's really lovely. The nurture nature thing. I mean, I, I tried my very, very best to raise a chorus boy and I got a box. <laughs> <laughs> I dragged him to shows. I played Barbara Streisand, musical theater dudes. I tried everything and he's a boxer. So yeah, I don't know about the nurture nature thing. I just don't know. (laughs) And I'm not, I don't think it's possible. I'm not looking to break any news, but you said first child. Do you feel like there might be more little people in your world to complete your family? I think we want to do at least one more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I, bet Justin, the, the, the second day Beckett was home, from the hospital, he looks at me and he goes, I don't think I want to do a second one. I was like, I don't think that's a conversation we should be having. Yeah, right. Not right Two now. Two days in. Right. <laughs> I was like, honestly, right now, I don't either. But let's, let's look and table that. Let's no, I mean. You're about to enter into the best years, I think, for me, between like three and six were just, oh my gosh, they were my delicious, favorite, favorite years. They were just delicious. Because everything they're experiencing for the first time and you sort of see the world anew through their eyes because yeah. everything's new. Yeah. Oh man, I love those years. Loved them. It's fun. It's been fun. I know that you're a foodie <laughs> and you love to make different recipes and you're a mixologist. And you have a new cookbook too, right? You have a new I cookbook. Do. Yeah. I do. I have a cookbook. Yeah, I do. Um, that was one of my, my pandemic projects as I was finishing up my cookbook that I was writing. Um, I, yeah, I, I, when I moved to LA, I, you know, got more space. You get more, more for your money out in Los Angeles. And I had a kitchen that I could actually cook in for the first time. And I just started, you know, learning how to cook. I'm a big cookbook collector. And, um, I have a very good friend who I always thought I would go to culinary school if I had the time and I never had the time. And one of my friends did go to culinary school and she's a fantastic chef and she was a private chef for, for for many years. And so she just started teaching me some techniques. And so we began developing recipes together. We you know, put together a blog because that's what you do. And then, um, that sort of turned into a cookbook and it was, uh, really, it was daunting to write a book, but it was also just, it was such a great way to express ourselves. I mean, you know, I love creating um, meals for, for friends and family and I love bringing people together. And uh, it was just, it was a nice sort of way to sort of pay um, homage to the recipes I, I grew up loving and, and mm. the recipes that my mom made for us. And it's uh, the book's called food between friends, but it really is about the food that we both grew up eating me in Albuquerque, New Mexico and, and Julie um, in Alabama. So it's, it's a, uh, it's, it's a lovely like side thing that sort of popped into my life that has been really um, fulfilling. It's, you know, you know, I, I can't, I, I like that. I have another creative outlet. that's not acting. That's, that's been very, very good for my soul. Okay. Favorite recipe from the book to cook, which is it? Oh gosh. Um, well, I, I have this green chili chicken enchilada pot pie. <gasps> oh my God. Yes. Taco Tuesday. <laughs> Looking at you. Go. There's also a, a ground, speaking of tacos, there's um, a ground beef and pickle taco. Ooh. Kind of crazy, but it is so delicious. <gasps> Are you so a pickle delicious. lover? I do love pickles. Yeah. Isn't there a place in New York called Pickle Brothers or something like that where there are giant right. barrels, yeah. right? And there's like the spicy one and uh, very unexpected flavors for, I must admit, yes. I'm a bit of a pickle purist. I, I try the yes. other flavors. Mm-hmm. Me too, dill all the way. My, I gotta, my cooking partner, Julie, loves, um, she would make 
pickle pops, which is basically just the pickle juice. You'd put them into an ice tray and then she would like suck on those. My mouth just started salivating. It all just went. <laughs> wanted to put it in the book. She wanted to put it in the book. I was like, Julie, you can't put pickle juice ice cubes in a pickle. It's just not. You can't do it. Like it does not deserve a page with photography around it. It's like, it's just not sustainable. Our social media guru, her name is Allison Arns. For my last birthday, she sent me this card that said, your birthday's a big dill. And I got like so many different jars of all these different pickles. And it was delicious. It took me like seven months to finish them up, but they were really delicious. Oh, I love, I love that you're a pickle person. That makes me so, so happy. Do you drink the juice? I drink the juice. I do too. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, love yeah, it. yeah. Like I, I like you, a dirty martini, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you need to then pop a mint before you put your mask back on, your COVID mask, because <laughs> yeah. that ain't cute coming back at you, but it sure is good going down. Um, I also snooped a bit because um, I love home decorating. I'm not really great at it. I'm more of a better like shopper than I am a decorator, mm-hmm. but your 1928 Spanish colonial is mm-hmm. enviable. Not How did you no. find this home? And did you immediately walk in and went, oh yeah, this is this is where we're going to live? Yeah, that home. Um, I am. I. I don't know if you know this, but I had to. I'm, we moved. We actually just sold it, and it was <gasps> the most heartbreaking thing I've ever had to do in my entire life because oh, it no. just was not kid friendly. I was like, we need a more kid friendly home. I need a oh, because of all the oh, stairs and, and the wrought iron and the tiles, yeah, all of it. Oh shoot! But it was the most beautiful home I found. Yeah, when we walked in, we just fell in love with it immediately. Um, and we lived there for oh, eight years, I think. I mean, I, I basically, the, it's the first home Justin and I bought together. We moved in right after we got married. Um, you know, it's, it, I mean, we had our, our kid there. It's such a special place. And um, if, if anyone's curious, just there's an Architectural Digest home tour of it. And it is a very, very special, special yeah. home. Um, and we ended up selling it to Leonardo DiCaprio, who bought it for oh. his dad. Oh, my gosh. So it's in good hands. Um, but we still sometimes get mail and they call us up and say, you know, you have a package here. So we, I've had to go back to the house and it's always takes hey, my Leo, breath away. Bring, bring, yeah. hey, Leo. There's an Amazon box that was just delivered. Isn't that ridiculous? Um, but it was when I went into the home for the first time when it was empty, I was not expecting this. You know that that cry that comes from like your throat? Yeah. And it's just like your yeah. throat is empty because like you, it's just there and it's yes. immediate sorrow. That's how I felt when I when I saw the house empty for the first time. Yeah. And I just sat down on the floor and I bawled. And, ju- and uh, Beckett was at the time still in a carrier and he was hungry. So I sat on the floor of our home and fed him some baby food. And, um, and, uh, it was it just heart- incredibly heartbreaking. Wait one second. Uh, trying to get into this room. Wait, is somebody knocking on your door right now? <laughs> is it Hugh Jackman? He's at Someone's Soho house him. all the time. Hugh, if that's know. you back up, is it Leonardo? Oh, I don't know who it is. <laughs> Um, I know that sob that you're talking about, yeah, that feeling yeah. in your throat. For yeah. me, just because I am a, um, I try to find joy in all the things, but I especially find it in all the holidays and I go way overboard. Yeah. So whenever I've walked into an apartment or a house, the first thing is, where's the Christmas tree going? And if that is crystal yes. clear to me and I can see my friends yeah. and family gathered around and what that sort of That's picturesque right. moment looks like, it's a done deal. 
Let's talk about right? your doc, your new documentary and all, all of that. want to hear about yeah, it. Yeah. So Justin and I uh, produced this documentary. It's called Broadway Rising. Um, and it's about uh, the Broadway returning after COVID. And um, it's directed by Amy Rice, who's this really brilliant director that we've been a fan of for a very long time. She did a actually the, um, the docu-series about Lindsay Lohan that was on the Oprah Network and uh-huh. that's how we discovered her. But she also did... Um, a documentary about Barack Obama's um, run for presidency. Hmm. And that's also on a, that's currently on HBO. It's a great documentary about that campaign. And so she called us up and said, I want to do a documentary about Broadway coming back from COVID. She had actually lost her brother in 9-11 and she hmm. was approached about doing a documentary about that. And she just felt it was not the right time. She couldn't get, she, she couldn't put her soul into it. She was just grieving too much. And, but she's always felt the space in her heart that she wanted to do. She loves New York so much. And when Broadway shut down, she was like, that is the heartbeat of the city shutting down. And I want to tell the story about that being restarted. So she's like, this is my my opportunity now to, to write that love letter to New York that I was asked to do, you know, so many years ago, hmm. 20 years ago. And also just the irony of like, you know, the fact that Broadway did shut down. That was the last time it shut down was not around 9-11 for yeah. two nights. And here we were, you know, with this, we didn't know when it was going to when it was going to come back. When I talked to Amy about this, I said, this is a great idea, but what I want to do with this documentary is it can't just be about the actors and the producers and the shows themselves. This community is so much bigger than that, that we don't realize there's such a ripple effect, you know, that all the restaurant workers who, who, the the parking attendants, all these jobs that were lost, we don't think about, but there's, um, you know, the, the, the Bronx is the the dry cleaner up in the Bronx that all of our costumes get sent to that, that clean all of our costumes. Um, you know, the, 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 the doorman, um, the, the ushers. Uh, so it's, it's really a cross section of the entire Broadway community. Um, and a lot of the people in the documentary that we feature are the people that are not, not necessarily forgotten. We, we know about them because we, we encounter them every day, but Broadway fans and, and, and the consumers of Broadway might not think about, you know, the doorman mm-hmm. of the ushers as right. being part of that Broadway community. And they truly are, you know, we get to talk to the guy, the, the usher who was the first to come down with COVID. And, uh, you know, he sort of felt like the pariah of Broadway for a little while. He didn't want people to know that he had it, but he was one of the first people to to be diagnosed with it. And he was at the booth and, you know, Patty LaPone, we have her in it saying, you know, the Asher next door had got it. Like they were all, it's just, it was this ecosystem that's sort of like breaking down. And um, it's a very uplifting film and it's, it's, it's such a, I'm so proud of it. And we just found out we got accepted to the Tribeca Film Festival. So, oh, uh, that's a very exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I felt extraordinarily lucky, honored, safe, comfortable when we returned to last Tony season to yes. present Best Actress in a play and a musical. Right. And we were going to do that together. Um, I was nervous to come back, I was yeah. nervous to. Um, see the city. I was nervous to interact with the community and what I expected, the high expectations I had of the Broadway community, the expectations that they might have of me coming back mm-hmm. is what I felt like a completely different being. Where yeah. were you in that journey when you and I met on that? Yeah. It was in September, oddly enough. We had the yeah. Tonys last year in September. Um, but I held on to you so tight because <laughs> you were, you were, you were like a friend in a safety raft and somebody who was respected and we could do this together. What was happening inside of you in that moment? A lot of the same feelings. I mean, I, 
I also pinch myself every time I'm invited to go to the Tony Awards because, you know, we go back to like me watching that production of Falsettos at, yeah. the, at home in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and um, seeing, being exposed to that on the Tony Awards. And every time I, I'm on that stage, I think about the kids who are watching the show and that's their exposure to Broadway. And it's so, so for me, it's like, okay, I got a job to do. We are here to represent this community for the people who can't actually be in this room or in this city right now. Um, and I, every time I go back to Broadway, if I'm seeing a show or if I'm at the Tony Awards or if I'm get, and lucky enough to be actually on stage, I always just feel such a sense of security from the community. It's these people who I've known for so long. I just feel like they have my backs. And even though I don't get to see you or Kelly O'Hara or Audrey McDonald, uh, you know, as often as I would like to, like, I just feel such joy when I do get to see you. And so it, I felt the same way. I felt very secure knowing that you were there with me. You know, you have such respect for for the, uh, the art. And it wasn't just like I was up there with some random celebrity that was like, you know, said yes to giving out an award. Like it was, it was fucking Stephanie J. Block. I mean, you know, oh, yeah, golly. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> it was Trenna. It was Cher. It was Alpha. I mean, you know, you're you're iconic. So um, hardly, it just but, meant, but meant we so know much. what Broadway means to each to ourselves and to yes. each other, and that is yes. really a kinship that you you can't fabricate. Like it's either there or it's not. So you're supposed to do take me out. The horrible, I call it the great parentheses happens, and you're mm -hmm. still aligned with the company. Was that always your intention to, regardless of what was going to happen or how much time had passed, you were going to tell this story? You were going to come back with the company of Take Me Out? I really felt if the play was going to come back, I had to be a part of it. Um, I saw Take Me Out three times when it was first in New York. Um, I saw it at the Public Theater where, where it premiered here in New York, uh, and then I saw it twice on Broadway. And one of the reasons I, I had to see it so many times was because the performance of Dennis O'Hare. And I was like, I just got to see that again. I got to see that man do that thing again. I'm not a huge baseball fan. I was like, I got to see this. I got to see that acting. I have to go back and see more of that acting right now. <laughs> and so you know, to have that offer come to me 20 years later and, and for someone to trust me with that role, I was like, oh my gosh, this is just, this is the end all be all. This is it. I have to do this. So it was always my, my plan. I told, you know, the, the people who look for work for me, I said, you have to make this a priority. Please don't put anything in the way of this. And there was a few times when it got scary and things were like maybe going to happen and it was going to make things complicated would take me out. And I begged for them to go away and they did. <laughs> and uh -huh. uh, I, just, I did everything I could to try and keep myself aligned with this project. And the really wonderful thing is, all of us did. We all came back. Not even just the the the, the understudies as well. The wow. entire company came back, and that just goes to show. Like, I mean, the, the play is that good. I don't think you know. It's it's not often when you get to work on something that is that good of a play. That writing is that good, and the the it's just such a gift to do it. So I think um, you know we all really felt like we had to see it through. Um, it would have felt like we were not finishing a sentence by not coming back to it. So it was, and also to be a part of the, the and kind of goes back to you know, what, how I felt when I was at the Tony Awards, to be a part of um, that season that is bringing Broadway back was yeah. important to me. I wanted to be, and that's also why I want to do this documentary. It's, it's all just, it all, all these things are working hand in hand with one another. And I just really wanted to be part of that, that triumphant return of Broadway. You mentioned Dennis O'Hare and I can, um, See, not to harken back to his performance because you were brilliant in making it so your own. You get a moment where you're alone on stage and you are 
you're talking and the audience yeah. is with you. Can you feel the collective sort of breath and um, them absorbing you in that way when you're on stage? Yes. I mean, I get Richard Greenberg has written this glorious monologue about how baseball is the perfect metaphor for democracy. And it is such an eloquent, beautiful speech. And I feel like it's also cathartic for the audience. There's a line in there where I say baseball is better than democracy because unlike baseball, uh, unlike democracy, sorry, baseball acknowledges loss. Mm. And that moment, everyone thinks is a new line in the play. And it's not. It was written 20 years ago. However, we're just hearing it differently. Mm -hmm. So it's and that's just the first of many gifts that 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 writing has given me. Um, But it is also when I reread that play after it was offered to me, this never happens to me. I remembered specific ways that Dennis O'Hare said lines. Mm. Like I, I don't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday, but I Mm. could remember how Dennis O'Hare said this one line 20 years ago. So here I am faced with this task of like how to reinterpret and re, re, um, re-embody this character yeah. that was so vividly embodied. And, 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 and that performance obviously seeped into my bones in ways that I didn't even realize until I reread the play. So every time I, I am on stage, I do think about if I had that experience with, that, with, with rereading that play, there are so many people in this audience who probably also had that experience yeah. of seeing that play and that performance. So it's, it, you know, it, it's, it, it's a dance I do. I try and like, you know, I have to make it my own. I have to, I have to constantly think of ways to, to turn it on its ear and sort of surprise myself and not do it the same way every time. So that's, mm-hmm. it's been a really fun challenge more so than any other show I've, I've ever been a part of. I really try and push growth with the character. Mm-hmm. I think the beauty of it too goes back to the beginning of this interview where I use the word like activist and philanthropist, both you and Dennis authentically care about humanity and want with your words and your actions want to make a difference. So when, when you're standing on stage, yes, you're being an actor, but you are pulling from the fabric of, of who you are, the wording that you are delivering to us, we know is not coming from an actor. It's coming from the heart of of Jesse Tyler Ferguson and what you're fighting for, for your son, what you're fighting for, for equality, that wording of loss is going to resonate in a way that will look different every week, you know, because of this constant fight to be seen and be heard. And Um, all of that is exactly what you just said, but so eloquently, my God, Stephanie, you're so eloquent. Um, Just that's why art is so essential. I mean, and that's why these past two years have been so painful I think for, for those of us who look to art for all those reasons you just said, um, and it, which is also why I just am so happy that even though it's tricky and it's hard and you have to get, you know, spit tests and nasal swabs to, to, to right. do our job now, but it is, I'm just so happy that we are able to somehow move forward. We're stumbling a little bit here and there, but we're getting back up and we're continuing to move forward. And it's just so important to me that, that that's happening and that I get to be a part of that momentum forward this season. And now it's time for the five questions. You're arrested and thrown in jail. What do your friends assume that you have done? Oh my God. <laughs> this actually happened to me. I was thrown <laughs> in jail. And let me tell I was you why. What? For you. Oh my gosh. You were not. Oh, I need to hear that story. Okay. This actually happens. This is what my friends assumed I did. When I was young, when I was when I just moved to New York, I went to go see Angels in America, 
And uh, I was a student at the time. Me and my, my, my friend who went with me, we only had one subway token. And it was late at night. The play was very long. It's like three and a half hours long. We had to get home. We were exhausted. The trains were running on, on a slow schedule. So we used one subway token and doubled up on the turnstiles and to, to catch a train. And an undercover cop caught us and took us in and put me in a little cell and... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then, like fingerprints of us and like we were like criminals we're just, just kids but the best part of the story is you know they take all your belongings and then they give them back to you when you're leaving so i got a a, ba- a, a plastic bag with my keys and my wallet and my angels in america playbill <laughs> <laughs> mine is kind of similar actually okay mine very quickly was uh i worked at disneyland for many many years i had a stalker in california you can get a stun gun by written test and like one physical test it's fine in new york i didn't understand that that's not legal i was getting on an airplane in LaGuardia. the stun gun was in my backpack (laughs) and i was handcuffed and thrown in jail trying to bring a loaded weapon onto an aircraft which is also an fbi offense so i had an fbi file for like many years it's now taken off the shelf but i'm still red flagged if i want to tour the white house or whatever but similarly when i got my stuff back it was a ziploc baggie of quarters that i was bringing to where i was going (laughs) and it was my laundry money right my laundry quarters um don't laugh at me but back in the day a bible and also all of my musical theater audition books and i was like yeah i'm such a criminal you really caught me you really are doing your job nypd but yeah these are stories and it followed That's me amazing. around. Like I had a, I had a record. record. That's hysterical. Yeah. Okay. Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Uh, do you have a nickname who gave it to you and why? My dad calls me goober. <laughs> or sometimes Gubinski. Um, I don't remember. It, it, I think it started from Mr. Magoo. When I was a baby, I, I think it, it stemmed from Mr. Magoo, but he's still to this day, like when he sends me mail to my house, it's it's Goober Ferguson. <laughs> <laughs> so again, Leo DiCaprio is getting mail for yeah. Goober, Goober Ferguson. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, if we walked into your closet right now, is there an article of clothing or something special that you'll never get rid of? I don't think so. I th- I'm, not, I'm not precious about that stuff. I don't think there is. Maybe the tux I got married in. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It might change with your little one. Yes. Oh, my. Well, yeah. you're talking about yeah. Beckett's clothes, and absolutely, yeah. there's stuff. Yeah. You start crying I, I every three months right. when you throw away their clothes. Like, I remember yeah, this exactly. One. It's so yeah. awful. Uh, if oh you gosh, could go back and talk it. with your, you know, teen or twenty-year-old self, what would you say to him? I would just say, um, you know. It, you are going to find someone you're going to have a family and uh, don't worry about, you know, people will catch up. People will catch up and and you are loved. Okay. Last question. If you were a nail polish color, what color would you be? And what would the cheeky little name be? There's a nail polish color that actually exists. Um, They did some company did a, a, a line of nail polishes named after the modern family characters. Oh, really? oh, I didn't know that. And there's a, an ugly, ugly shade of like cobalt blue. And it's called, it's called ready for it. What's the mituation. 
these are the names we're wanting. That hit checked off all the boxes. What's the Mitchell? Mitchuation. <laughs> I wish I could remember the other ones, but I, I of course I like still have the bottle at home. I was like, I'm never throwing this away. I'm never gonna use it, but it's never throwing it away. That's perfect. Thank you so much for for doing this. You are so so busy with your show. You have so much coming up and it's just, it's really kind of you to take the time and do it. And I wish you the best of luck in this, in all the award seasons coming up with everything happening. It's really, it's going to be exciting and exhausting. Yes, I know. I've never, I've never been nominated for anything. So like if that happens. I haven't. Well, I mean, like drama desk, I got, I got a drama desk, but I've never, like, as far as Tony Awards go, I've never been <gasps> in conversation. So sending love. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Coming up next, what struck a chord with us right after this break? Y'all stages is now sponsored by better help. And I couldn't be more excited because I love therapy. So I encourage you, if you've had a tough year and a half, (laughs) why don't you give them a shot? You can find a therapist that you can connect with. Their resource is thousands of therapists, well-trained and experienced. You can keep looking until you find someone that you click with. They have customized online therapy. They do offer videos, but they also offer phone and live chat sessions. So you don't even have to be seen. You can only be heard. What are you waiting for? Go to BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P dot com slash stages. And for our cast members, you get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash stages. Go, go, go. Go find your healing. Go find your happy. Stages podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P. Wow, he was so great. I mean, he was everything you sort of thought he would be, just totally down to earth and exactly who he is. No pretense at all. What a cool guy. So candid, so beautiful, so um, so him. You know, it's just... You can see him in Leaf Coney Bear. You can see him in Mitchell of Modern Family. He, yeah. you can see him in his um, uh, character of Mason in Take Me Out. Like that's the beauty of a of a real star is that fine balance of still having your signature self in every character, but being yeah. able to morph into whatever the material, the play, the sitcom yeah. needs. Right. Yeah. And he's I got to say, skill. I saw him in spelling bee and I mean, oh, no. seriously, no. first of all, that show had me in hysterics from beginning to end, but he was wonderful. He was so, the whole cast was amazing. It was such a great show. And what a to thing to know be a that part the of. cape came from him to know that the character name came from him. That beauty of creating your own character with such freedom. Bill does do that though. He, Bill has such a special way in, in the room and he's very right. He's, he's, he's gruff. He's odd. He's a genius. He does not, I'm talking about Bill now. Um, he doesn't follow any punctuation. So you don't know where the end of the sentence is or the new thought begins when, you know, Bill Finn speaks, but there really is this sort of openness from one creator to another to say, let's just put all of these wackadoodle great ideas in a pot and whatever seems right and true and the best idea, that's what will manifest itself in the show. And what, I mean, how fun is that? Yeah. You know, I wanted to ask him about, um, 
if he wanted to direct or write or anything like that, because he seems ah. to have his fingers in everything. We did, so he just didn't get to it, but yeah, he's, you know, he's into documentaries. He's into decorating. He's into cooking. He's, you know, he does a little bit of everything. Yep. He sings, he's an actor. He, I mean, kind of across the board. And I just wondered if he ever wanted to write a play because he really is one of those guys. When you think of theater people, you do think of him. He's just a oh, real yeah. theater guy. He, oh he's, yeah. He's a pillar he's, in our generation's musical theater canon. Yeah. But, but even his persona is a theater guy. Like if you just <sighs> met him in the street, you could tell when he was probably in high school, that's a theater guy. He's so, he just oozes it. He emanates it. And you can tell the love of course, and the connection that he has to the stage, like that you really see in those real theater people. So right. I wondered if he ever wanted to, to write something of his own or, or, you know, just, I wish we got into all that. When I said in his, you know, intro that he's recognizable, he is. I mean, he's oh, sure. not, not going to stand out in the crowd and whether oh, it is that sort of effervescent personality or that strawberry blonde hair or that <laughs> smile. Like, you know, he's going to walk down the street and people are like, yeah, it's not, how do I know you? It's that's the guy from modern family. Yeah, of course. So of course. The still navigate but it doesn't your seem life to go to his head humility. at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what I was so saying. So normal and humble and kind. And, you know, when you were just listing off all the th- things that he's really good at and has been successful at, and it, it sounds a little bit like, I don't know, artistic ADHD, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but he's not over the top at all. Like he is, no, he's good at all. Wonderfully focused yeah. and sitting mm-hmm. down with one thing at a time um, and delivering sort of all of his energies and, and to make that right, the best that it can be. Yeah. You know, I, I wanted to touch uh, base with him about his charity that he founded with his husband, Justin, Tie the Knot. It's an amazing foundation. They advocate for LGBTQ civil rights um, around the world. And that's what Jesse was speaking about, right? That was one of the beautiful qualities where he fell in love with his boyfriend and then husband because of his activism and wanting to um sort of elevate the knowledge of things that were important to them. Tie the knot. I'll put a link in the in the bio below so people can can check it out for themselves too. Seriously, with everything going on right now and how busy his life is yeah. with a two-year-old and a show and sliding into the award us? seasons to sit down and spend an hour with us, that's... Speaks volumes about who he is. The good human in them feeds the artistry, which then lends itself to all of us just being in such admiration. Yeah. I'm so glad we got to share this with him because I've admired him for a very long time. And I'm really glad that uh, I got to meet him. All right, my friend. This was a lovely day. It really, really was. Thanks, Emma. Love you. Okay. Love you. See you soon. So if this episode resonated with you, please follow, subscribe, and share. You can always find us at stagespodcast.net. A big thank you goes out to our assistant and doer of all things technical, Saren Cho. Thank you to Noah Kaiserman and Garrett Healy for our beautiful original music. Melanie Von Trapp for our Stages Podcast logo. Brock Grenfeld, our sound engineer. And Allison Arns, our PR and social media expert. And thank you, our cast members, for joining us today. We hope you come back next week.